to Truly Whole Heal Your Soul podcast. I'm your host, Mira Luna, and today we'll be covering a variety of the different types of yoga classes that you might be seeing around. So if you're a beginner and you've always wondered what the different classes mean and which one you should try out, this will be a good little taster of the different types of classes so that you'll be a little more informed on which one you might want to try out. But before we get to that, if you enjoy the episode, please subscribe on any podcast listening platform and please rate and review on iTunes. It's really helpful. It's free to you and it helps me a whole lot. And feel free to follow me on Instagram at Miraluna. And with that, let's jump into it. And so there's two words that I want to cover to start off with, and one is pranayama and one is asana because they make up the basis of most yoga classes. Asana just means the physical postures. So whenever you hear a word like dandasana, the asana part of dandasana is just saying that this is a physical posture. And then the other word is pranayama, which means breath work. So most yoga classes are made up of a combination of asanas and pranayama. So yoga is actually a much wider reaching field than the physical practice that we generally see in the West. What we see here tends to be the asana practices. Most classes are made up of the asanas and then some classes will work in pranayama and meditative practices. The first type of class I want to talk about is the vinyasa class because it's probably the most common class that you'll see in at least the United States in the Western world. It's also referred to as flow class. Vinyasa roughly translate to linking breath with movement, very roughly translates. And so it creates a flow as you combine a movement with the inhale and then a movement with the exhale. And this form of class has takes you through various asanas and the transitions actually become just as important as the actual asana postures, and that's what creates the flow. So you're actually moving through designed choreographed sequences between the postures and flowing between them. A lot of vinyasa classes will have music to help create that sense of flow, although it's not required by any means. And the sequence of classes can change drastically. So it depends a lot on the teacher what kind of sequences you're going to get in a class, and it depends a lot on the class and also on the teacher on what level uh, class it's going to be, so how hard it's going to be, how vigorous it's going to be, or it could be very gentle and very relaxing. Vinyasa classes tend to be between 45 minutes to 90 minutes. Now, another practice is the Ashtanga practice, which is one of the most traditional practices of asana yoga. It was brought to the West in the 1970s by Patabi Joyce. He's the one who's credited for bringing it over and popularizing it in the West. And it's a very vigorous form of yoga. Each posture is held for roughly five breaths, and then there's the yoga equivalent of a burpee between every posture, which the yoga version of a burpee shows up in vinyasa classes as well, and is generally called a vinyasa, even though that that isn't necessarily a distinct set of postures. It's become popular to consider that 
a vinyasa. So Ashtanga classes tend to be pretty athletic and very long, um, and it's the same set of poses each class every single time, so it becomes very meditative in the sense of you are doing the same repeated motions over and over again, so the actual movement and postures don't become the focus, they just become tools to open up the body and to move energy through the body to then open up the mind. Whereas vinyasa is more meditative in the flow aspect of it, where you can really link the movement to the breath and then create more energetic movement that way, which is its own sort of meditation. Ashtanga has a few series of poses, which include the primary series and the secondary series, and once you reach a certain comfortability with one series, then you can go ahead and start the, on the postures of the secondary series. Ashtanga is taught in different ways. Uh, some classes are taught with the teacher guides you through the poses every class, and then a lot of classes actually because it's the same set of poses, you do the class on your own, and so you move on your own breath. So a class will be, say, two hours long, and you will come in and move through the postures on your own breath and then leave on your own time. So it's not quite as everybody moves together as a vinyasa class would be. And then there's another type of yoga called power yoga, which essentially is ashtanga yoga but a bit more flexibility in the sequencing so it's not necessarily the same set of postures in the same sequence as ashtanga but it really focuses on that vigorous aspect that ashtanga can get so that if you don't want a gentle yoga class power yoga is definitely for you focuses on getting the heart rate up and really intense postures so you get that kind of workout feel from your yoga class. Now, in a similar vein to Ashtanga, but much more new, is Bikram, which was founded approximately 30 years ago by Bikram Chunturi. And that class is 26 postures. It is the same set of postures every single time. And what was extra unique about a Bikram class is that it was artificially heated every time. So most classes before Bikram were, you know, whatever temperature it was in the room or air conditioned, like a lot of fitness classes. But Bikram intentionally heats up the class to quote unquote sweat out the toxins and also so you can get deeper into the postures because if you don't know, if your body is warm, then it's easier for it to stretch and move into things, whereas if it's cold, things tend to be more locked up and they don't want to stretch. And so you don't need as much of a warm-up in an already heated room as you would in a colder room. Uh, you do need to drink a lot of water if you want to take a Bikram class or any sort of heated class because you will be sweating a lot and get, get dehydrated very quickly. A lot of classes are between 95 degrees and 105 degrees. And it, again, it's 26 postures from Bikram was founded hot yoga because people enjoyed the idea of Bikram classes and the heated aspect of it, but Bikram was very 
particular about people following his 26 pose sequences and if people deviated from that at all he was prone to sue them so <laughs> to avoid lawsuits people just started calling things hot yoga if they wanted to have a little bit more flexibility in their sequencing but now hot yoga can really be any type of yoga. There's hot vinyasa, there's hot restorative. Now it, some classes are similar to Bikram, but a lot of them just mean that the class is heated up. And then there's the most broad term for yoga is hatha, which is just a generic term for yoga asana practice. Uh, when it shows up on a yoga schedule, it tends to be a gentler class than say a vinyasa or an ashtanga class because it it doesn't have that flow aspect it's not necessarily tied to breath you generally have a bit more time to move in and out of postures so the heart rate doesn't elevate as much and somehow the classes will be a very short amount of poses and we'll have a lot more explanation for the asana and then some are full-length classes, a lot of different poses. There's no requirements on the sequencing in a Hatha class. It just means it's an asana practice. But again, if it shows up on a yoga, uh, yoga class schedule, then it's generally a less vigorous f form of classes, but not necessarily. There's definitely Hatha classes that are vigorous. So double check if it says how what level it is, what the intensity is, because it, it really is just a generic term, and so it can be a very gentle class, or it can be a not-so-gentle class. But it definitely tends to be the least aerobic of yoga, not that a lot of yoga is super aerobic, but vinyasa classes and ashtanga classes can get your heart rate up because there is a lot of transitionary movements that keep you moving and moving and that will get your heart rate up whereas hatha there tends to be less intense movement between the postures so it tends to be a more anaerobic process another type of yoga is the iyengar yoga this was popularized by bks iyengar uh, he brought it to the west a similar time to patabi joyce um, Ashtanga is not very particular about alignment in poses. Um, there's basic rules about what a posture is, but there's not a lot of particularity about how you set up in those poses to get the most out of them. And you have to sometimes be a bit careful in Ashtanga classes because there can be a tendency for teachers to push and pull you into postures uh, because it is more about being in the posture than it is necessarily about safe alignment, which is not entirely true and mostly just means they're not an awesome teacher, but there is a bit of let me force get you into the pose, kind of yank you into the pose because the pose is where the benefits lie. Whereas Iyengar grew up a kind of sick child, um, he got injured pretty easily, so he became very focused on yoga about alignment. So what is safe alignment? What is healthy alignment? And alignment became much more important to generating health benefits in his eyes than 
the exact postures in any certain way. But because he has very specific rules about what he thinks perfect alignment is, it can sometimes end up in the same front. But his class tends to use a lot more props like blankets and blocks and straps and all of those things to help get you into proper alignment in the poses rather than just getting into whatever version of the pose that you can get into. And I personally really like using props. I find it very helpful. So I'd like to thank Iyengar for that. Another type of class that uses a lot of postures or a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, props is yin yoga. And yin yoga was actually developed and designed as a complement to other practices. So more vigorous exercises or even just more vigorous yoga practices, which is why it's called yin because it is the balance to yang practices. Yin yoga is not a, a set sequence of poses, um, but the poses are held for a longer period of time with the thought that having more time in the poses will give your body the chance to actually adapt to them, let your nervous system adapt to them. Whereas in a more vigorous practice, you're moving between poses, between postures in a pretty rapid format. And so there's a belief that you won't always necessarily be able to get the benefits from the poses when you move so quickly through them. And so yin, yin yoga is really designed to give you the time to really settle into various postures so that you can get their full benefits. And because you are settling into things for a long period of time, it also uses a fair amount of props so that you're not locked into something completely on your own muscular support because that doesn't really allow your nervous system to calm down as much as if you are supported and then you can really relax into it. For beginners, poses, each pose tends to be held between 45 seconds to two minutes. And for more advanced practitioners, poses can be held between five to even 10 minutes. So again, if you imagine trying to hold something, one specific pose for 10 minutes without props would probably be more strenuous than it would be uh, relaxing. So props are definitely important to yin yoga, but it is still more of a active class than the next class I'm going to talk about, which is restorative yoga. And so restorative yoga it takes yin to the next level of it really is about making your body feel good, creating space in your body, and really, really slowing down the nervous system and uh, letting it fully relax. And so restorative yoga uses all of the props. <laughs> every, every part, every pose in restorative yoga is going to be super, super supportive. Uh, poses in restorative yoga tend to be held closer to that 10-minute mark. And it's really a productive nap, a proactive nap. <laughs> so it's very, very low intensity. Uh, a lot of people do actually fall asleep in restorative yoga. 
<laughs> so if you're a snorer, be forewarned that uh, maybe bring precautions so you don't disturb other people's relaxation. But even if you, you know, do fall asleep and snore, everybody's used to it. And it's always a little charming aspect of restorative yoga. But yeah, it's so relaxing and so calm. There's a fair amount of people who can't, don't feel comfortable doing restorative yoga because it is so meditative, so slow. Uh, So if you have a hard time sitting still for long periods of time, maybe try out a restorative class, but it may not be for you at this point in your life. I believe everyone could benefit from restorative yoga, but it, it is, I think you kind of have to start somewhere else and then ease into it. Or if you love the thought of getting all, you know, if you missed nap time from when you were in preschool, kindergarten, then hey, restorative yoga is for you. You will practice sometimes even only something like five poses in a restorative class. And usually there's some twists and some hip openers, things like that in a very restorative sense. So it's used to open up very chronically tight areas of the body, again, the hips, the spine, the upper back, um, in a very, very gentle way. So throughout our days, we tend to hold on to movement patterns. We hold a tend to hold on to stress and tension in certain areas of our body, again, like the hips, upper back, the spine. And so restorative yoga is our concentrated effort to peacefully and relaxingly open up those areas and so we can let go of the physical tension while we let go of any mental tension. And the last type of yoga I want to talk about in today's podcast is what is called kundalini yoga, which is if you have to ease into restorative yoga, kundalini tends to also take more of an easing into Some people love it from the get-go, and a lot of people don't. (laughs) Uh, Kundalini is a bit more, um, it's much less of a physical practice, and so a lot of people really get started in yoga for the physical aspects of it, and then learn to appreciate the meditative and mental aspects, spiritual aspects of yoga second. So if you're coming into yoga looking for that more uh, workout kind of view, the more exercise routine kind of view. Kundalini is probably not what you're looking for. Um, Vinyasa is great. Anashtanga is great. You know, any of the other ones are great to add into a workout routine to balance, you know, whatever you're doing in your life if you're looking for that physical aspect. But if you're really looking for a more spiritual side, Kundalini is got you covered. Um, So Kundalini is again less about asana and combines a lot more of the other practices so there's a lot more focus on the pranayama the breath practice and on chanting Uh, chanting is important because it creates vibrations within the body that help change 
uh, move the energy through your body. So a vibration is just the movement of energy. Um, sound is just a vibration. So when you create those sounds, you create those vibrations, you move energy. And different sounds come from different parts of the body. So a higher pitch sound does not feel the same in, a bo- in your body as a lower pitch sound. And so you can Chanting is used to help release different parts in the body, as well as to connect to more universal energies in a spiritual spiritual way. Um, Kundalini comes from the Hindu belief that there is a divine feminine energy at the base of everyone's spine. So at the base of your spine, under Kundalini philosophy, you have what translates as a snake. So it's divine feminine energy, but it translates to a snake. So you have a basically a coiled snake at the base of your spine. And this is again, your divine uh, feminine spiritual energy. It's a higher vibrational energy. It's a very pure high vibration energy. And so Kundalini is all about trying to release blocks that keep your kundalini coiled and down and inaccessible and release blocks so that you can what it's called let the kundalini rise and in hindu philosophy if you if your kundalini rises then you reach spiritual enlightenment um so the practice of kundalini is supposed to help if you do it regularly help reduce those blocks, keep that energy flowing. So then you, by the end of your life, will be able to reach spiritual enlightenment, which is, I think everybody would appreciate. But even if that doesn't necessarily work out, doing kundalini yoga does help um, release energy blocks in your body. And even if you're not necessarily transcended at the end of a class, it uh, does help you connect to your more mental clarity, uh, more creative potential, and um, supposed to help you align to kind of your higher vibrational self. Whether it does or it doesn't is obviously up for debate, but it's definitely, it's very centered around your energy and releasing blocks in your prana, which is energy. Um, And again, it's much more focused on uh, breath work, chanting, rhythmic movement, dedicated meditations, and a lot, it's again, one of the more traditional practices, and a lot of them tend to be an hour and a half, even longer, to have this kind of sacred process happen. Um, I'd also like to cover, just really quick, uh, the different kind of levels and what you might be able to expect from the different levels. So if you have a level one class, um, it's obviously your most introductory class. Uh, There will be a lot more space between the different postures, a lot more time to get into the postures so that Again, the heart rate doesn't get up as high and also you have time to actually understand what is being asked of you. And then a level one, two class tends to 
be still the more easygoing versions of postures, but there's an understanding that you now kind of know a bit of the basics of yoga. So it's doesn't, uh, classes tend to not walk you through everything quite so much. So one, two classes are really good if you've passed the beginner stage knowledge-wise, but your body still feels like a beginner stage. Where And so one classes are like complete beginners, and then level two classes are your quote-unquote intermediate classes. Uh, and intermediate is a very broad term. Uh, so uh, level two classes tend to be very broad in what is offered in a level two class. Some of them are very vigorous, some of them are not so much, um, but there is an understanding that you know the different types of postures, what is meant by down dog or warrior two, that kind of thing. So there's not a lot of explanation on what each posture is, what it's for, that kind of stuff. Uh, any good teacher should have cues about alignment in your poses, but uh, moving through class, but there's not going to be a lot of hand-holding on what the different postures are, but uh, level two is, I think, when you really need to find the teacher that connect you connect with really well, because there's such a broad amount of level two that you can be. It really comes down to finding the teacher that really works with for you and you like their level of difficulty or obviously a couple of teachers if maybe some days you want it a little more vigorous finding the teacher that will get that out of you and then some days you want it a little more relaxed finding the teachers that can offer that for you and then level two three classes are where you start to get into more advanced postures uh handstand practicing tends to come in um, although a lot of all levels classes now introduce that stuff because it's fun, but um, <laughs> it, that's in the scale of one to three, kind of when that starts to come in. Some hand balancing stuff starts to come in, like Bacasana Crow, and um, those kind of things come in at a two, three class. And then level three classes tend to be very arm balance and, you know, advanced posture heavy. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to run that over that for you if you're ever kind of debating on, well, maybe I'm a level one or a level one, two or level two. That's usually where the confusion comes up in. Obviously, it comes down to the studio and the teacher, whether they fit that super well, but um, that gives you a little head start in looking at yoga classes. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up there. I'd love to hear what you have to say, if this was helpful for you. Um, if it was helpful, feel free to tag me on Instagram at Miraluna. Um, you can tag me in a post, you can send me a DM, or uh, I'd love it if you uh, shared this on your stories and tagged me, and I'd be happy to share this on my page uh, if you did that. So feel free to do that. Again, please subscribe. Uh, please rate and review on iTunes. It's super, super helpful. And again, my name is Mira Luna. My Instagram is at Mira Luna. Um, and I'll see you next time.